Uh, as we get ready to get started here, as Jeff mentioned earlier, January is Sanctity of, Sanctity of Life Month. It's a time where Christians acknowledge the sanctity of life in the womb, of God's creative work even before birth. Uh, but we know that the Bible also teaches uh, that not only are these little lives sacred, uh, and not only is God intimately involved in weaving us together, our personalities, all that we are, but we are also sinful from birth. And that's the other part of it. We were born in need of redemption. And so I'm saying that because um, as, the, as we grow as humans and individuals and we think about what it means to be Christ's followers, each one of us has a sin nature to contend with. And uh, we were just singing in a, a minute ago about the faithfulness of God. And as I sing those words, especially today, I'm thinking about not only God's faithfulness to me over the last 30 years, but I'm also reminded of my unfaithfulness towards him and remind him how that sin nature has been this wrestling match between myself and the Holy Spirit of of God. And we're going to be talking about that quite a bit today as we move into John chapter 10. Um, But what I want to propose to you or share with you is about how that sin nature has specifically played out in my own life. And so for me, and and, and some of you may be able to relate as well, I I have always had this adverse um, reaction to authority. And there are a lot of reasons that I could point to and excuses I could make. Um, but the reality is that because of my sin nature, I've always had an issue with authority. And I have, as I think back on my childhood, I think about very few good examples of authority. And I can think of a lot of examples where I, was, I would push back against authority in the home or authority in the school. Now, I was really subtle in the way that I did it. Like, I really tried hard to never get caught. Uh, matter of fact, I was, it was my last day of my senior year before I ever got licks. Now, if you don't know what that means, you're too young. But for those of us who, knows what the, who know what that means, I went to a school that believed in corporal punishment. If you violated enough rules, you got spanked right there in the principal's office. No kidding. Last, year, last day of my senior year before I got caught and got licks. I think of another story, another example of my rebellion against authority had to do with the way that I uh, refused to obey uh, traffic rules, laws. Anybody else struggle with that? Um, I'm one of those people who I just felt like what I, my opinions were better. I felt like I knew what was best for me. And so if I wanted to drive a certain speed, I felt like that my wisdom was superseded the wisdom of the state of Texas. Uh, To the extent that uh, when I was dating my wife, um, we were about to get engaged I don't know if she remembers this or not. I had received enough moving violations within 24 months uh, that now I was summoned to appear before the judge. I don't know if, if you know that or not, the state of Texas will only let you get so many moving violations before they look at you and say, may I have that driver's license back, please? And so I evidently I'd hit the magic number of seven. And so it wasn't just like I could sign the back of the ticket and mail it in or go do uh, deferred judification or defensive driving. The judge wanted to see me this time. And I'll never forget because for one of the first times in my life, I was actually nervous about somebody else's authority over me, and I could do nothing about it. And so I go to court. I appear as I'm supposed to before the judge. I had the option to bring a lawyer. I'm like, why would I bring a lawyer? I'm guilty. Let's do this. So I'm sitting in court. Judge is up at the front, and there are many others going before me. And I'm listening to him uh, basically give verdicts to each one of these people. And for everybody who was there who was guilty of the same thing I was guilty of, he was taking driver's license away. I'm sweating bullets. I'm like, not only am I like dating and I'm about to get engaged, but my future fiance's dad is a police officer. 
This is not going to go well whenever, whenever I have to let him know your daughter's going to have to come pick me up for our day because I don't have a driver's license anymore. So I was sweating bullets there uh, in, the, in, the, in the courtroom, and it came down to me. And I'm thinking, man, I've got I've to plead my best case. I've got I've to display my, my respect for his position. And so I'm, I'm there, and he's like, Mr. Williams, yes, it looks like you've had a problem with speeding. Yes, sir, I have. Looks like you've received seven moving violations in 24 months, state of Texas. Uh, if, you do, if that happens, we'll revoke your license. Yes, sir. Is there any reason why I shouldn't suspend your license today? Other than the fact that I don't want you to? No. And for whatever reason, this judge showed leniency to me and let me keep my driver's license. Now, I share that with you because that was a big turning point for me in the way I viewed authority that there might possibly be good authority out there. There might be times in life where it's best to submit to authority. And so I wish I could say that everything was cured in my heart in that moment, but it's been this wrestling match match ever since in my own heart, especially as it relates to my relationship with God. And so today we're going to be looking at the deity of Christ and what that means for us as an authority in our lives, and for each of us to think about our own willingness to submit to His authority. And I would suspect that many of you, if not everybody in this room, on some level, ha- has an issue with authority. And so we'll, we'll dig in. We're going to start with uh, verse 30, which is where we left off last week. And so just a reminder, um, this is in the Gospel of John, um, the third attempt by the Pharisees to catch Jesus saying something publicly with witnesses um, available to validate blasphemy so that they can arrest him and put him to death. Okay, and so this is the Feast of Dedication, and here they are. And so as they continue this conversation, Jesus says in verse 30, I and the Father are one. So that's his statement. Verse 31 tells us the Jews' response. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. So evidently, whatever Jesus just said was enough for the Pharisees to be convinced that he had committed uh, blasphemy in front of enough people that go get the stones ready. Just go ahead and pick up the stones, get them ready, because this guy is as good as dead. But before they arrest him, Jesus continues the dialogue, and he answers them, and he says, all right, guys, well, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? So Jesus wants to know, well, what did I do wrong? If you are going to convict me uh, in front of all these people and even put me to death, then I need to know, from, from which of the good works that came out of my life are you accusing me of? And so they respond to him, it's not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, which is something you said. So what is it? Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now that's really the big question here uh, as we wrap up chapter 10. Is Jesus God? Not is he a good man, not is he the kind of guy that does the kind of things that make God happy, but is he in fact God? What do we mean by that? As Christians, we have a Trinitarian view of God. And it's one of those aspects of who God is that if you think about it too, too much, you can actually get more and more confused. But what we mean by that in the simplest form is that we believe in one God worthy of our worship. And, and, and God has eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so here, as Jesus says, I and the Father are one. He's talking about his being. Now, he's not saying that, uh, that there's only one God and the God is only the Son. But what he's saying is that there, there is one God 
And God the Father and I, we are of one being, one God. Now, as you can imagine, this is beginning to create not only some tension, but some confusion. And what's going to happen over the next few chapters in the Gospel of John is the rest of the, of the Trinity is going to be built out. We're going to get into the role of the Holy Spirit and the way that the Holy Spirit interacts. And Jesus is going to say, hey guys, I've got to go uh, back to the Father. And after I go back to the Father, the Helper, the Holy Spirit is coming. And so that's going to continue to play out in the next few chapters. But here in this moment, what is um, at question is whether or not Jesus is actually God. Now, to fully understand a reading here, it's important to take a step back and ask ourselves, what is John, the one who's writing this down, trying to communicate to us? So I'm one of those weird kind of people that when I watch a movie or I read a story, I always like to know, what was the author thinking? What was the author wanting me to think? What's the hidden agenda behind this story or this twist or this turn? I'm always trying to unpack it. And so I'm, I'm kind of weird. I like to... to to, to watch movies again with the director's commentaries. Anybody else do that? And so, right, and so the, the, the directors or the, or the writers are explaining why they did what they did. I'm following along with all the twists and turns and trying to unpack it and figure out. I know I'm kind of weird like that. I like, to, I like to know that. But here's why I'm saying that. The Gospel of John is like one of those great, um, great documentaries where the actual writer is explaining uh, their motive as they tell the story. And so what I mean by that is the Gospel of John, if you read the first chapter, introduces Jesus to us as God. John clearly wants you to see Jesus, the main character of the story, as being God. He says it right off the bat. In the beginning. So he timestamps it, meaning what? Eternally existing. In the beginning was the Word. And he's using the word word to refer to Jesus. Not only was the Word Jesus in the beginning, but he was with God and he was God. And so right off the bat, as John unfolds this gospel for us, he wants us to, to make no mistake about it. He wants us to see Jesus as God. And if that's not enough, in the, in the rolling credits at the end, he'll come back and say, Hey, listen, I could have written a whole lot more down. There were a whole lot more stories I could have included in this gospel. But these were included so that you might see Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. So we know, right, we know the author's intentions for laying these stories before us. So when John writes in John 1.14, the word becomes flesh and dwells among us, he's saying, listen, this God who was the word in the beginning is going to take on human form and walk among us. And the stories I'm going to write down are the stories of God becoming flesh. So now here we're at a pretty critical point in the gospel where Jesus himself is saying the same thing. I and the Father are one. Now the Pharisees are going to respond to Jesus by saying, well, finally we caught him, blasphemy. Arrest him, put him to death. And what is really interesting is what Jesus does in response to this. We'll look at this in verse 34. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scriptures cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Now, what Jesus just did is he's having this discussion with the religious leaders and the experts in the law. He just referred to their law, and I'll tell you about that in just a minute, to essentially deconstruct their argument against him. So as they appeal to the law, anybody who's not God, who calls himself God, is guilty of blasphemy. 
and therefore guilty of death, Jesus says, well, wait a second, let's talk about your law for a minute. Isn't it written in your law that he called them sons of God? And he's referring to Psalm 82. And we're going to talk more about this psalm as we get further along, but just to put it quite simply, Psalm 82 is a really interesting psalm, right? It's a song. It's eight verses long. And it's essentially a prophetic song that, that is, was meant to be sung in the courtroom in front of the magistrates or the judges. And it's actually a song of condemnation. Okay, So it, the song essentially goes like this. Hey, judges, you guys are wicked. And so there's an, a, there's an almighty judge who's going to show up and he's going to judge you. But embedded in this song is the phrase and the reference that, that God would refer to these judges as gods with a, with a lowercase g. The reason being is not that God is viewing these judges or these magistrates as deity as much as he's viewing them as those who carry out with his authority, his law. And so they're making God-like decisions. And so in Psalm 82, there is a phrase that refers to the judges as gods with lowercase g or sons of almighty. And so based on this technicality, Jesus is saying, wait a second, you're trying to put me to death because I refer to myself as a son of God Yet your law describes you guys as sons of the Most High. And so he's deconstructing or dismantling their legal argument against him. And I think what Jesus is doing is even bigger than that, uh, but he lays this out for them. And so then he follows this up with verse 37. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. Remember what he asked earlier? Which one of my good works are you condemning me for? And now he's bringing it up again. He's saying, guys, listen, if, if you see in me that I am not faithfully carrying out the works of my Father, then don't believe in me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may, listen, know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in him. And so the theme kind of running through this is not only is Jesus and the Father one, but he wants these guys to know and understand that he is in the Father and the Father is in him. Now, with this in mind, I want to take a step back in just a minute and look at this bigger picture, even of Psalm 82 and what's being described here and how it plays out even in this scene here in John chapter 10. So if we go back to Psalm 82, and you're welcome to turn there in your Bible or just follow along on the screen. I want to read these eight verses to you. Again, this is a song meant to be sung in the courtroom in front of the judges, condemning the judges of their wickedness. Okay, and so we'll pick this up in verse 1. Listen. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. So there's that reference to the judges as gods. Verse 2. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All of the foundations of the earth are shaken. Verse 6, which is the one Jesus was quoting. I said, you are God's son of the most high. All of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. 
There's a lot embedded in this particular psalm, but the, the main gist of it is that God Almighty will show up one day and judge the judges of earth. And even though they have been in a position of authority, a position where they were supposed to be carrying out with authority the commands of God, they had turned away from their duty, had become wicked, lacking understanding, walking in darkness, no longer standing up for the weak and the oppressed, no longer fighting for the fatherless, but instead manipulating the people, manipulating the law to serve their own interests. And so now here in this particular scene, if we were even to back up to the end of the last chapter where Jesus confronts begins this confrontation, he says this in verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. In the very next verse, the Pharisees are like, What are you talking about us? You calling us blind? And so Jesus is saying right there, Listen guys, this is one of the reasons why I've came into the world, to be a judge. And so we see this Psalm 82 really kind of coming uh, to fruition here in this moment where Jesus steps in front of these earthly judges and and he calls them out for their wickedness. And he says, listen, because of your lack of knowledge and understanding, you oppress the people with the law of God. You twist it to serve your interests, to serve serve what you want to do. And now I am showing up to judge you. This is really interesting, isn't it? Now, what happens from here is um, they're going to once again try to arrest Jesus um, unsuccessfully. And I, before we read it, I want to point it out. Because John just in passing drops these little hints of Jesus' deity and his authority in just such simple phrases. But if we remember what Jesus said earlier in chapter 10 where he says to the Pharisees, listen guys, I want you to understand something. Nobody has authority over me. And what is his example of that? He says what? Nobody will take my life from me. I will lay it down on my own authority and I will do what? Take it back up again. So really this is is a question of authority here. And so with that in mind, we read verse 39. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Just a simple phrase, isn't it? But another reminder of not just Jesus' craftiness to sneak out of a a mob, but Jesus' authority. It wasn't because Jesus was sneaky that they weren't able to arrest him. It was because Jesus' authority superseded their authority. I want you to think for a minute about the people of Israel at this point in time. They had been a people under oppressive authority for years. Okay, outside of the nation of Israel, the Romans um, were occupying their territory. So ultimately, they were not only under Jewish authority, but they were also under Roman authority. So the people that are present watching this go down, they knew, they knew very well what, what unrighteous authority looked like. They knew very well what oppressive authority felt like. What Jesus is doing, he's confronting the religious leaders and, and he's saying, listen, guys, you, you, and tons of examples in the Gospels, you guys have been carrying out oppressive authority over the uh, people of God and, and, and using the name of God to justify that. You've been serving your own interests. And in the wake, all of the oppressed are being pressed down and the weak are being taken advantage of. And so Jesus comes to the world, becomes flesh among us to be the righteous judge. Right, to show us that there is an authority that is not oppressive. There is an authority that leads to life. As I think about this, um, I think about the nation of Israel as a whole. 
So three of the founding patriarchs of, of the nation of Israel, if you will, are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, grandfather, his son, and then his son. Um, but if you know anything about the story about Jacob, it's an interesting story because Jacob is one of two brothers. And God comes to Jacob in the night and wrestles with him. It's an interesting story in the Old Testament. And God is wrestling with Jacob all night long. Now think about that. God Almighty wrestling with a little human being. And so it's not this idea that God is just barely strong enough to win as much as God in his mercy throttles back and allows Jacob to wrestle with him. You with me? And so all through the night they're wrestling and Jacob's giving it his best. I don't know if you've ever wrestled before or been to that point where you're like, you're just exhausted and you got nothing. Like your arms are just like, ugh, can't even lift my arm. And that's the point that Jacob got. And just with the slightest touch, God touches his hip and dislocates it. God displaying his power. I could have I done that from the first moment, Jacob. But I chose to wrestle with you. Then he changes his name to Israel, which is the name given to God's people in the Old Testament. Well, what does that name mean? One who wrestles with God. It's not only a description of our hearts and our rebellion, those who will wrestle with God, but it's also this beautiful imagery of a God who wrestles with us. A God who could strike us dead in his authority, but chooses not to in his mercy. But he wrestles with us. He contends with us. Listen, that is a description of our spiritual journey, Christ follower. You have been wrestling with God from day one. And the significant moments of spiritual growth in your life are marked by what? Submission to his authority. You see that? Submission to his authority. We were just singing a song. Let the vision of you be the death of me. That's a strange line. What do we mean by that? Well, what we mean by that is as we worship God, as we get to know him better, as we, our vision of who God is becomes more and more clear, more and more vibrant, what will happen inside of us is death to self, dying to my own ambitions, dying to my own wisdom. And essentially what? Submission to his authority. May the, may the vision of you be the death of me. May your authority supersede my authority. May I be one who, who submits myself willingly to you, O oh God. And so as we see Jesus as the Son of God, this person of ultimate authority, the question is, do we joyfully and willfully submit to his authority? Think about that. There is a good chance, and by good chance, there is a 100% probability that there is something in your life God is wrestling with you about. Something he's calling you to, or something he's calling you away from, or something he's calling you to do, or something he's calling you to not do, or all of the above. That is the process of growing as a Christian. This continual process of God revealing to me through his word and the Holy Spirit where I need to change, where I'm headed in a wrong direction, where my life is disobedient, and the Holy Spirit, just like he wrestled with Jacob, wrestles with us, sometimes with the slightest touch, brings us to our knees to show us, listen, the way you are going, the what you're fighting for is the wrong thing. And what happens in our life, and see if you can relate to this, over and over again as Christians, we get to, these, to this fork in the road where we sense God is calling me to go this way. God is calling me, and I'll give you some examples. Maybe God's calling you to let one of your coworkers know that you're a Christian. 
And you've been wrestling with that. I feel like God wants me to, I don't know how to start the conversation. You're wrestling with that. Or maybe God wants you to issue forgiveness towards somebody who you believe doesn't deserve it. So you're wrestling, I don't want to forgive them. I don't know if I can forgive them. If I forgive them, does it, does it mean that what I said, that, that what they did is right? You're wrestling with God on something. Or maybe there's somebody in your life who's not a Christian. And God's saying, listen, I want you to speak up and share the gospel with them. Like, I just keep going on and on. And if you can't think of anything that God is calling you to or away from or to do or to stop doing, come see me after the service, and I'll give you a long list that comes right out of the scriptures. And that's what sanctification is. God is continually conforming us into the image of his son, bringing us to that crossroads where you're looking at your ambition and your wisdom and his, and you're having to make a decision. And you're wrestling. If I go the way God wants me to go, that looks boring. It looks hard. It looks unpleasant. Oh, but this over here looks good. You know what I'm talking about, right? That, that place in, in your journey, like, you know God is speaking to you, saying, listen, don't go that way. And you're like, yeah, but I really want to go this way. And so you start down this journey, and God wrestles with you. His spirit contends with you. His spirit convicts you, speaks to you, calls you back. That, that is the journey of sanctification. This wrestling with God and then submitting. And there's a good chance, probably 100% probability, that there's something in your life you're wrestling with God about. And, and what leads to life and joy for you? Submission. I know that you could bring to me a long list of examples of unrighteous authority. Going back to your first examples of authority, maybe a parent who was abusive or oppressive, maybe somebody you dated or married to, maybe a, 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 a boss or a supervisor who showed partiality. Like you, could, you could just probably give me a long list of earthly authority that is corrupt. That's what's happening here. But when Jesus shows up, he shows up to judge those authorities, to expose them, and to call God's people to willfully and joyfully follow his authority. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. Jesus is not a good luck charm. He did not come become flesh to dwell among us to be your eternal life insurance. He came to the earth to die and to resurrect, to display his victory over sin and death, and to call us to believe in him and to follow him, willfully and joyfully submitting to his authority. So I know there are tons of examples you could give me of oppressive, unrighteous authority, but today, what Jesus is saying to you is, listen, I am the Son of God. That's who I am. And if you believe that's who I am, the evidence will be seen in your life by how you joyfully and willfully follow my leadership. When you get to those crossroad decisions, you say, that's where I want to go. And this is where Christ is calling me. And by faith, I'm going where Christ is calling me. He's calling me to start a conversation He's calling me to get involved in Grace House Ministries. He's calling me to get more involved in the church. He's calling me to call up that family member who I've been at odds with for years and invite them to coffee. He's calling me and my spouse to, to our knees to quit contending with one another and start submitting our lives to Christ. Can I just share with you this observation I see over and over again in marriage counseling? And I think this is, probably, this is, this is absolutely true of my marriage as well and the struggles that, that Hallie and I would have. When I sit down with marriage counseling, it's almost always two people trying to convince me the other person is the problem. But I'll tell you what is always there. 
two people walking in disobedience to Christ. And, and that's just over and over again. Like the, the main struggles that Hallie and I have with one another are our lack of willingness to submit to God's leadership in our lives. Just case in point, God tells me as a husband to sacrificially lay my life down for my wife on a daily basis. And whenever I'm leaning into my sin nature, I'm not doing that. I'm disobeying Christ and it's causing issues in my marriage. And I could just go down the list. I want you to think about that, Christ follower. The authority of Jesus in your life is meant to lead you towards thriving, towards abundant life. This is the same chapter where Jesus says, I have come to give you life and give you life abundantly. His commands lead us there. His directives lead us there. Not our own ambition and intuition. So Christ follower, I don't know what it is that you're wrestling with God about right now. Maybe it's just the general idea that there would be a higher authority in your life besides you. That's been part of my struggle. To say there is somebody who knows better than me, who has better for me. Or maybe there's a specific issue on the table. Something he's calling you to or calling you away from. And you know it right now. Okay, so right to, to act in contempt would be to walk out of here and no change. Right, but the example of what we see even with like Jacob wrestling with God is that we come to this point of submission. You say, you know what, God? I submit to you. We're about to sing a song that talks about God, come wrestle us and win. That's what that phrase means. God, come contend with us. We know we are stubborn, rebellious, hard-hearted, egotistical people. But in your mercy and grace, will you come wrestle with us anyway? Almost like wrestling with a toddler trying to get the thing away, Right? Just come wrestle with us, God. But not just wrestle with us and win. And that's what that line means. And so as we think about this part of the Gospel of John, Jesus is clearly proclaiming, I am the Son of God, ultimate authority. John wants us to see him that way. I just wonder, is that the way you see Jesus? Or is he more like your homie or your good luck charm? Your eternal life insurance. Is he sitting on the throne of your heart. So when he says go, you go. When he says stop, you stop. Is Jesus truly the Son of God in your heart? And this is how the chapter 10 begins to wrap up. Of course, again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. He's circling back around to where he started his public ministry. And many came to him and they said... John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And it's basically what they're saying. They're delineating between John's role and Jesus' role. They're saying, hey, John was not the Messiah, but everything that John said about this Messiah is true. And look at their response. And many believed in him there. That's a powerful statement. Many believed in him. Believed what? Believed that he is, in fact, the Son of God. That means something. Jesus has died to be your Savior and your Lord. And so I want to lay that before you today, and I want you to think about what it might be that you're wrestling with. The solution isn't that God would finally wake up and see things your way. It's the opposite of that. That you would bow in submission and say, you know what, Jesus, I'm tired of wrestling with this. Take it. It's yours. I'm following you. I'm submitting to you. 
Be my Lord. Be my King. I'm going to leave you a couple of things to think about here. If Jesus is the Son of God, as he proclaims, as John presents him to us, then it tells us a lot about God, doesn't it? Right? We can look at Jesus and we can know what God is like. But second to that, I want you to think about this. How does seeing Jesus as the Son of God, how does that impact the way you hear his voice and, more, just as importantly, the way you respond to it? It's not enough just to say, God, speak. I want to hear from you. That's a powerful thing. But what happens next? Do we just walk away as people who have been spoken to or do we walk away different? God, speak that I may hear and I may obey. So I want to leave you with that, just thinking about how Jesus being the Son of God should impact the way you hear and respond to Him. I'm going to pray for us. and Maybe you've never come to that place in your journey where you've taken that step of faith to trust in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Listen, that's who He is. To be anything less than that is to believe in a different God. Jesus says, listen, this is, if you're going to believe in me, this is who I am. And so if you haven't come to that place, I'm going to pray that you would make that decision before you leave here today. For others here who have been Christians for a long time, I just realized that this June I will be, have been a Christian for 30 years. I became a Christian when I was 15, so you do the math. And I look back over 30 years of wrestling with God. And the, and the most significant moments of life change and, 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 and movement towards goodness have been in those moments where I've submitted to Him. And so I just want to lay that before you today. If that's where you are, like God calls you to submission, not to oppress you, but to lead you to abundant life. And so whatever that thing is, man, I pray you'll lay it down for you leave here today. Lay it down. Submit to the God who wrestles with you, who contends with you. And say, oh God, would you just win today? I'm tired of fighting you. I'm tired of resisting you. Oh God, wrestle with me and win. And let's pray together as the worship team gets ready to, to lead us in singing. God, thank you for this reminder from John 10, first of all, of who you are. We're reminded of a God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. We're reminded, Jesus, that you are the Son of God who, who took on flesh to dwell among us. You came to the earth. You came to the earth to be the righteous judge who judges all other judges. You came to the earth to be the righteous judge who, who delivers the oppressed. You came to the earth to save and to seek that which was lost, to die on the cross, to resurrect from the grave according to your own authority. And so, Father, today, as individuals, we acknowledge your authority, not just over the universe, but over our hearts. You are our king. So, Father, may we live as people who submit to their king. And, God, we thank you that when we do that, it leads to thriving. It leads to abundant life. It leads to joy. Father, we thank you that you lead your people the way a shepherd leads his sheep. You lead us to our greatest good. You lead us beside still waters. You lead us to fertile fields. You lead us to the places we really want to go in the first place. And Father, today, to get there means that we would submit our own authority, our own ambitions, our own wisdom to you. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be king, not just over us individually, but over this church, that we would be known as a people who willfully and joyfully follow you in submission. So Holy Spirit, we pray now you would come and work and move through this room. God, convict us where we're being led astray. 
clarify what you are calling us to and away from. Father, take this time to conform us into the image of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.